Good evening. Welcome to Curious Sanaki. Um, we're here with another with Naomi Osaka. Today we're time traveling in 3D with Pam Case. Welcome, Pam. How are you? Hello. Right and early. I was, I was nearly not here. I um, developed photophobia, so for the last couple of days I've not been able to actually open my eyes, <laughs> and I thought it's okay. It's Clubhouse. No one has to see me. And what, what is that? Did you say photophobia? You said. If you I had some trauma to, to my eye, and it can result from trauma or infection, or and actually you can't open your eyes, so light sensitivity. The pain is excruciating. I know I'm laughing, but honestly, it's not laughing faster last night. take three months but miraculously here I am with both my eyes open so let's not pensate can I say hello to Yetunde who is in the audience go by that where she could tell me that I wasn't wanted um, that I in her words the very fact that I had ruined her life 
uh, the very fact that I was born had ruined her life, that there was more goodness in any microscopic bird under her pristine, clean fingernails than there was in the whole of my being or ever would be. Now, you know, our brains are going very, 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 very quickly at that age, and they are soaking up everything and forming around the beliefs. And we look up to our parents for nurture. And if they're going to tell us things like that, it gets very, very deeply, deeply embedded. Um, she would also decide to send me to Coventry for days and leave me begging her to um, tell me, to explain, you know, please mummy, if you don't, then explain what is, is, is wrong, you know, why my own mummy can't love me, how can I put it right, and she would still ignore me, so um, no prizes for guessing that I had a lot of mental health issues growing up after that, I guess. of school with that backdrop of your mother being less than supportive? It was incredibly tough um, because I had no self-confidence obviously um, and you know kids, one thing that never changes I think that, that kids need confidence in school because it's a harsh environment so I was incredibly quiet and shy and you know kind of had my fair share of taunting from other kids and luckily it wasn't the worst bullying in the world but it was not easy at all um, I couldn't really make many friends because I just didn't really feel that I was worthy of, of having friends or that they want, want me to be their friend because of what my mother had stitched in and it didn't help at the age of seven, one of the teachers discovered I was profoundly deaf. Great! Just another level. Um, so I did spend a lot of time in hospitals having ear operations and things as well, which didn't help at all. 
So Pam, if I could just ask a follow-up question, if you don't mind. Of course. Um, so often we ask these kind of questions for people that are following behind us, so that uh, you know when they go through perhaps similar or parallel experiences, uh, they can perhaps take something from your journey. Um, I, I kind of I'm getting a, a picture, a framework of, of, of the like um, the struggles that you had, even as a very young child. Um, and I suppose one of the, the obvious questions would be, how did you um, how did you find sun, sunny days, uh, positive experiences within all that lack of positivity, lack of self confidence? What did you do to give yourself um, a fighting chance of positivity? Do you know, the only thing I can remember is being buried in books and absolutely going on a completely different journey away from everything and I devoured all sorts of things from a very young age, classics and all sorts of things. Um, even, do you remember encyclopedias? <laughs> we don't see those anymore, do we? But you know, um, my, I, a, a lovely uncle gave me a whole set of encyclopedias as well, and I would just read those. And it, you know, I would just sit in my room and do that. It's escape. I mean, it's such a beautiful uh, world to, to 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 go into and to to explore. I wonder if you could um, perhaps give us an insight. Like in your development, like when you were like say eight, what kind of books were you reading, and then like say twelve, and then sixteen? What, what books, what scope of what, uh, genre of books were you most attracted to? It's hard, whatever anyone gave to me, basically. And I had all these relatives who would be clearing out and giving, passing books. I don't know anything. It was a choice. So, and it's hard to pin down books to certain ages. But I can, I can clearly remember things like Little Women and Tom Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn and um, what Katie did and Emma and the only one that I couldn't really read was A Tale of Two Cities because it was difficult. <laughs> And it was only when I actually got into my 30s that I actually read that book. And it turned out to be one of the best books I've ever read. But yeah, I can remember all of these classics being lined up. And imagine the opening line of um, Tale of Two Cities might be very appropriate for the, you know, your, your upbringing in terms of the best yeah. of times and the worst of times. I can still remember the opening line and the closing line. <laughs> but my gosh, you know, if, if anybody has not tackled that book, because it is quite a tough read, a tough I would read. say persevere. It's a, it's, because again, it, it, it does, it, it shows you some of history yeah. and, um, and I think, and, and one of the things that, that that I like to put out there is that it's incredibly important for us to learn from history, oh, and yeah. that more of our own history should be taught in schools. You're, you're a person of my own heart. I so agree with you on that. Um, and I've tried to, you know, push that when I was in schools, and unfortunately, with brick walls everywhere, they don't like history anymore. Um, but yeah, I was thinking back in your school days. Um, like in school or outside of school, where, if at all, did you find any um, uh, milk of human kindness? 
I had a godmother and she happened she was a friend of my mum's and she lived right across the road and this woman happened to be Scottish and um, so it was very very strange that I was the only sort of kid travelling around in the suburb of Liverpool with a Scottish accent <laughs> I still have some words in my vocabulary today that you may not actually recognise but that I can interpret for you <laughs> but anyway yeah so she I spent a lot of time there and she was the only one who said to me that I had value she would reiterate my value she would be proud of me when her relatives came to visit she would show off the things that I had written and drawn and she would you know um read with me and play games with me and oh she was the lady who actually gave me the Maya Angelou books now two things here first of all what I would have done without that godmother in my life I do not know um I still miss her to this day and secondly, what a wonderful gift to give me the works of Maya Angelou. I absolutely devoured them and I learned so, so, so much from that lady. And she became and still is one of my heroes in life today. Um, I suppose the last question I want to ask because I will allow curious to ask you, he's probably got loads of questions to ask you, but if, um, if I could just ask you, um, in a way, your life seems a little bit reflective of the, you know, what, the caged bird, like, you could have gone down the road of Eleanor Rigby and been very lonely for yourself, what took you to a Um, to truncate really the years, the intervening years of my life between then and now, I did the classic thing. So, um, obviously getting involved with the wrong uh, kind of guy and marrying the wrong kind of guy and then there being this. Because you see the thing is that you, you don't believe that you deserve anything better. You know, and my mum suddenly died when I was 19 years old, and my dad really became something of an alcoholic overnight. And I was dealing with all of this and trying to, and I'd got an apprenticeship at a, a, a huge uh, company nearby that was international, and I was kind of trying to further my career, and they were putting me through my further education. and. I had no time in my head to think in my mind, what do I really deserve, what do I want? And then of course, a subsequent relationship with a six foot bodybuilder saw me kind of being thrown against walls 
and punched and kicked and uh, a knife at my throat and he tried to throw boiling oil over me and uh, when I finally uh, had the courage to get rid of the guy I was having death threats from him and he was going to put something through my door light it, burn my house down while I was asleep um, I had to have my calls intercepted I, the police put my, my house on a, uh, the patrol um, quite incredible really isn't it but this is what happens so, so many many people who have, are taught in childhood that they are not worthy will not believe that they um, are are worthy of a better relationship and that is how people get stuck in them and it was actually a friend who recognized what was going on and put her foot down and said you will get rid of him and um, we doubled back I pretended to go to work doubled back to the house we packed up all his stuff together got somebody to come and pick him up and he was out of my life but uh, yeah until um, I eventually met um, my husband um, and then and only then did my life start to turn around. Has that shocked you? Sorry. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it's, oh, it's, a, it's a bit of... so he was often quite absent but he was probably one of the nicest men you could ever wish to meet but totally ineffective so he would just say to me would you just please go back to bed will you just please get out of the way all I want is a quiet life he was actually quite scared of her and would never stand up to her for me 
So then he's a lovely, jolly, nice guy. He's, I don't think he really parented. I think he was kind of just buried his head in the sand and, and didn't didn't really help at all. Okay. And also, I I wanted to go to university and um, I wasn't allowed to go. Um, so something about that story about football resonated. Um, and yeah, they they just. very very much on my own forging a path on my own and luckily um you know i got an apprenticeship that did put me through my my um, further education but i think if, if, if i hurt myself for example roller skating or trying to do something else try to do something in the house I would, you know to help and whatever it was it wasn't good enough and if I hurt myself doing that for example trying to get something out of the oven I burned both my forearms instead of the sympathy she would literally hammer my leg over and over the marks she left in my legs would take a long time to go and she would just be calling me useless and pathetic and yeah so I don't think that what if I had had to nurse my mother I don't I, I really do not know I honestly think that if she was alive today she would be the type of person who would still be causing division between everybody and being quite bitter I mean, I've, I literally had to forgive her. I really have forgiven her. Um, and realised as an adult that she must have had all her own problems, which she would never open up about. Because how could you be like that to a child if you don't have problems yourself? of this group of friends I had by the time I was kind of in my late 20s and um, went off travelling and he would write and I used to think why, why is he writing to me? Why me? Not to anybody else? Because of course I didn't think you know I was the worthy one and everyone said oh no he's not writing to me and I thought what the heck? Anyway, um, I would hear these um, tales of what he was doing and where he was going and um, it was through, he was travelling for about three years and it was through his travels and his letters that made me sit up and take notice of him and um, 
when he came, when he was coming home, I was thinking, oh gosh, I'm quite well. You know, I was quite excited to see him, and he brought these photograph albums with him. And I'd previously thought he was quite a snob. Now this is quite pivotal to who I am as a person, okay? And when he came back, the photographs were not of some kind of aloof travel. They were um, photographs of him literally with down on the floor with the very four poor people of the world, yeah, in the dirt, sharing their life with them. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's not the snob I thought he was. This is the kind of anyway. Eventually, we uh, decided that that was it. We were right for each other, and we got married. Um, we bought a lovely Victorian house, and we began to renovate this house. We had a lovely wedding. We were planning a family. And my life. We were both in good jobs, had a decent income. And on paper, that was a massive tick, 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 wasn't it? You know? It all ticked all the boxes. Out from people looking in, this is perfect. You have the perfect life. But you see, there's something that was always missing. I never felt that I had a home. My dad had disappeared somewhere with a rather strange woman who he'd taken up with. And I felt cut adrift. I thought, where, where is where is my home? Where do I really belong? Who am I really? And I would look at it on Facebook and all this, you know, social media, and people would be talking about their mums and and how they would go on shopping trips with their mums or go to the theatre with them or go visiting them and how much and I thought I just don't don't have that I've never been bothered there was this big big hole you know where a mother should have been basically it just didn't feel right Unresolved stuff in what you were thinking at the time, and and perhaps you know, like you said, like a gaping hole of, of let's say warmth and comfort that most children would have expected to have been around when they were growing up. Even 
Um, how did you like repair that? I suppose I'm looking for. How did you find within yourself as you were going on your journey? How did you find the ability to repair that? Because clearly, what you've gone on to achieve is so magnificent that you you, you obviously have found some answers. And and uh, you know, really respect the fact that you that you. Um, Try and explain perhaps the reasons that your that your mother was unable to parent in a way that we would expect a mother to look after a child, perhaps. Um, so I'm questioning that, and also I'd, what I'd like to ask you is, you gave a beautiful uh, rendition of what your 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 husband was like in terms of uh, being amongst uh, you know getting down and, and close to the poor. Um, and did you end up going on journeys with him or? Um, did he inspire you to travel as well? Uh, so I'm just, I'm just curious about the next, the next chapter, should we say, of your journey. Okay, well, this is where this is the thing that pulls everything together and plugs the gap. We began to look at some other countries we hadn't been to, which are few and far between by this point, um, and we had been to sort of Morocco and. Tunisia and various places together and when it came to our honeymoon um, there was one place that we both wanted to visit and had not been to before and that was India so we got married on a freezing cold day because we wanted to get to India before monsoon <laughs> and so we did and um, we basically Got a cheap flight, packed up our backpacks, and travelled across South India for our honeymoon. And we got way, way, way off the beaten track. Um, and it was in a tiny fishing village in South India where. The last piece of the jigsaw of my life slotted into place. You want me to carry on? Please, if you don't mind. Okay. <laughs> so. This is the interesting bit now that's coming up. This. Yeah, yeah, continue, please. <laughs> There was, let me try and paint a picture. If anybody's ever watched Michael Paling's journeys around the world, you will see way away from the holiday places that people, like Goa, you know? Oh, I've been to India, where have you been? Goa, really? Okay, no, we are away from all that. And we are right in the middle of kind of nowhere in a village that nobody has ever, you know, Put it this way, the, the, the kids followed me for miles, touching my hair and things because, you know, this is the first white person they've seen in, in their village and they were just, they were just adorable. But there was a hut, imagine a hut. I grew up with a brick shed in my garden as big as this hut. Three rooms, and it's where a whole family lived. No running water, just a standpipe. Everything else was, they were bath, their bodies, their clothes, everything in the river next to this hut. And I think I can count maybe four 
five small pieces of furniture in their hut where they lived. And something unreal happened. Um, something that would transcend all human understanding, I think. Something with this particular family just went clunk. And in my heart, I just loved them. And when we finally left, I mean, we travelled all, all over, but when we finally left, it was this family that stayed in my heart. And the one young boy who could speak any English at all um, began to write to us and wrote to us for um, a couple of years. When they never ever, even despite me, my protestations, please, please, please tell me what I can send you from They had nothing, and yet, when I pressed, he asked for a baseball cap and some felt-tipped pens, for goodness sake. So when it got to his, I think it was his 21st birthday, I sent £25 in an envelope. Now, just just try and, they didn't have banks, they didn't have television, they didn't have phones, they didn't have anything that we would take for granted. So it had to go in an envelope. And I carefully wrote that when we were in your village, we observed all of your traditions, your culture, your food, so this is ours. 21, big birthday, you have to accept this money. And it was only £25. Now, bearing in mind that he was earning £25 in a month. And he was the only member of the family earning anything. And in monsoon, there was no work. And there was, subsequently sometimes, no food. So our hope against the idea of the abject poverty this family lived in. What he hadn't told me was that his sister was in hospital with dangerous fields of pneumonia and they could not have the money to pay for the drugs to save her life. And he ran all the way to the hospital with the money and paid for the drugs they needed. And then she started to write to me as well. And life went on and the letters never contained anything bad and his English was getting better and then one day and I have every letter by the way I have a box with all of these letters in and one day I had a horrific letter and this one outlined how someone had come to the village his name was Sunil now I can remember this detail and he said I can get work in the Maldives for one of your sons. You're going to need money for a return flight to come for an interview and a work permit. So of course the neighbours whose, and this is the way banking was done there then, uh, would have some gold jewellery and they loaned the gold jewellery for the family to take to the pawnbroker to finance Away goes John, Jan Kumar get to the Maldives. There is no work, 
there is no job, it's a scam. They take all the money that he has taken for a so-called work permit, starve him for a couple of days and stick him back on a plane to India. And the letter I have said, what are we going to do? The neighbours want their jewellery back. We have nothing. We are the most unlucky family in the village. What are we going to do? Please. And at this point, you might be expecting me to say, please send money. No, they didn't say that at all. Please pray. That was it. Please pray. So I thought, well, okay, let's, uh, let's gamble some money here. I think this is real. So I sent £50 in an envelope and I asked them to send me a certain craft I had found in their village that I'd never been seen in the UK. So they parcels and I said, look, look, you, I know you're hungry, I know you might not have any food, I know you need to give money to the pawnbroker, but please, 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 please trust me. Spend all of this money on this. And do you know what? £50 worth of this particular craft came back bumping through the letterbox and onto my hall floor. They trusted me. And I took them into work and I emptied them on my desk. The woman next to me said, Wow! And suddenly my desk was surrounded by all these people and money was raining down on the desk. Few of the crafts left. The lady next to me said, Right, come on, let's make a spreadsheet. I'll never forget this. And we started to send money back and say, Take this bit to the financier, send more crafts with this bit. And the family complied until we paid off the debt and some and went back out to see them. What would you like, Brittany? Toothpaste, they said. Toothbrushes. Soap. You really have to understand that these were things that we take for granted. So we filled up lots of bags with all this kind of thing and we took it back. However, in that moment, when I re-entered that village, as I walked into the village, the mother of the family came running out. She wrapped me in the dupatta, part of her sari, and she began to rain kisses all over my face and tears. And she took me into the hut and she would not let me go. And with one arm around me, she cooked. With her other hand, she fed me with her own hands. And she kept on hugging me. And the village came out because obviously I'd got their jewellery back. And they brought out plastic tables and chairs and loaned us some furniture and helped to make a feast for us. And in that moment, I gained the mother I had always wanted, right there in this tiny village, 
and she did not even speak more than about three words of my language. Kindness is all. Kindness is the most underrated thing in this world. And the thing is that there has been a massive piece of research done to show that when we are kind to other people, there are untold benefits to ourselves. And what my mission is, is to help people to understand that kindness needs to cross cultural and religious barriers because so often the block to people being kind is I don't understand their language, I don't understand their religion, I don't understand their culture. I'm a little bit afraid of how to approach things. And educating ourselves on those things, going through the fear and being kind can benefit us in this way. But it didn't stop there because I did the whole thing again. And brought this 20 odd year old kid out from India. My gosh, that was red tape and a half. Put him into a local college, got him some qualifications and a good CV. And when he went back, he got a better job and he kept getting promoted and he kept getting promoted. Now, he earns a lot more than I do. Um, and he's a finance director for about five platinum plus islands in the Maldives. And I'll never forget the day he phoned me to say that he had got built a house for his family with two floors and got them out of the hut. And I will never forget the words, and guess what, Pami? An indoor toilet. Which made me laugh. But yes, so now, when I go back, I am a part of this village. I have a family there. There are parties. I just call it going home. I am mothered. The world is a family. Just like a family, we have our differences. But just like a family, we should be forgiving any differences, even that have happened in the past. Um, because for goodness sake, this family don't really mind about my colonial past, do they? Um, which I'm deeply ashamed but we are in a new generation and kindness and the world as a family should be the thought that is on everybody's mind and actions I've gone on far too long do you have any questions?
articulate the themes that you've described. because we have to look after ourselves and be kind to ourselves first and that's the new lesson I've had to learn I think that my people pleasing grew out of me feeling that I had to do things for people in order to be loved and accepted which of course isn't true it just isn't true um, but that I had to earn my place in the world and this is because of what my mother had planted into my head um, but I think that if we want to reach out across cultural barriers uh, racial barriers religious barriers the kindest thing we can do in the world right now is educate ourselves because I believe that it's fear fear of other cultures religions races that unfounded fear and they lead to the prejudice, really, that leads to racial and religious hatred. And the thing is, I hear so many people, you know, talk about their belief systems, about they, you know, we other people. And I know because one of the things I do is I read, as is I, that reading has never left me. That you know, I mean, I can recommend books like um, Empire Land by Sotnam Sangira, which I believe should be on the curriculum in all schools. Because if we understand our colonial past, we will understand why Britain is a multicultural society today. So for me, a big act of kindness is educating myself. Um, June Sarpong has some amazing books. Um, I've read her book, I think it's White Privilege, you know, and it's about what, what white people can do to help to address and end racism. They, by Safras Manzouri, is what Muslims and non-Muslims get wrong about each other. These 
books are at our fingertips and if you don't like reading get audible but let's keep trying to cross those barriers the other thing that i've done of course is that i have learned languages i find it quite incredible that so many uh, people um, expect everyone to be able to speak english yet what um so for that reason i speak hindi and urdu um and i think that's that's you know it's a lovely way to reach out isn't it because when you actually demonstrate that you you have you, you met people halfway you're trying to learn that that in itself is a kindness isn't it i think so all you need to do is learn at least a couple of phrases when you go to somebody's country learn about that country learn about its history if you're british learn about the british history in that country for goodness sake learn a few phrases in language observe if something is going to offend don't walk through there with your size 9 saying well this is my culture they'll have to put up with it don't offend people for example if having your legs and arms covered as a woman you might think oh well, you know it's this is my culture it's not my problem or well, it's causing offense don't do it Don't do it. Kindness is all. Thinking about other people. Listen to other people's viewpoints. If you don't understand what people need, don't be afraid to ask. I have some Pakistani Muslim friends who live quite close by and in a very 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 white area and I invited them around and I went and bought some halal meat and bought some lovely cordials for them to drink and brought my friends around and I could see I could actually see that some of my friends were really uncomfortable with this and I think it's because they at the bottom they don't think they wanted to offend So they were kind of not quite being themselves, but that could see they were a little uncomfortable, a little fearful. But as my friends left, they turned around and said to me, "That is the best night we have had in the eight years we've been in this country. Thank you so much for your arms around me." So please, just reach out, learn, cross the barriers. come <laughs> very quiet Mark do you want to come in so i mean as we're coming towards probably the i think we're coming towards an hour of, of doing the 
wonderful discussion with you, Pam. Thank you so much. Um, <clears throat> I suppose at this point, we, we kind of like to ask people um, what message you'd give to Pam of, say, 10 or 11 years old in, in Liverpool about trying to decide how to go forwards with, with the kind of burdens that you had as a young person. What, 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 what sort of legacy would you leave for those behind you? What, what would I say to children in my position? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> Find someone to talk to. It's a different world today. Um, there are far more services. The world is far, far, far more aware of the mental health issue. And there are far more bodies set up to help. You know, I mean, things like cams. That wasn't there when I was growing up. We're also mental health aware. Speak to a teacher. Speak to a social worker if there is one around. Speak to an adult who is showing you love. there are so many books and I'm not just talking about escaping into um, novels but read books that are going to inspire you um, about stories about self-worth because again that's, that's a changing thing now as well in children's literature it's not all five go off to Dorset anymore um, one thing I would like to see in literature children's literature is that I would like to see other races and cultures more highly represented I think that it's incredibly sad that um, the vast majority of books um, will be about a white child, for example, whereas we now have a multicultural society and I would like to see books that children of all races um, can find and say, this child in this book is just like me and that it's more relatable, if that makes sense. I mean, I'm now I'm a motivational speaker and I speak about these things um, I encourage people who may be at my age and still damaged by their past um, to reach out across cultures. Um, Andrea Mallon, who was in the room earlier, um, she and I 
kind of well she started to form a group of people called bias breakers and we had a meeting and I mooted the idea with her that maybe we could get a stage with people who talk about this this about diversity and inclusion from all sorts of different angles um and we might be looking at that in the new year also uh, andrew's putting together a book um where there will be a chapter from uh, different people um who have faced diversity in some way um sorry um prejudice in some way some bias you know and that could be disability it could be race it could be you know all sorts of things and how they have overcome it and what they've got to say about it so i'll be writing a chapter in in andrea's book as well um so that there's there's some exciting things because i feel that i want to continue to help other people who might struggle mentally because of a childhood like mine to realize that the the world is their family and community is all and the community is there for them and uh I want to go down to Nottingham you know because there is um in February 1915 and um, in February 2015 sorry um a uh, a muslim guy and a jewish imam um Jewish rabbi sorry they set up um something called the Salam Shalom kitchen and that is actually a mosque and a synagogue coming together Jews and Muslims and they every Wednesday night they work from a church and they give they make free food for anyone in need of food now that's bias breaking isn't it this is the world i to see going forward I think it's beautiful um that you acknowledge the whiteness the colonialist history um those things and how you're able to draw the parallels um and the changes attention to the changes that have taken place in your life um and i feel that it's so it's so beautiful to see and to hear people talking about experiences where they've been immersed culturally not just from a from afar not just theoretically but they've actually been in the trenches as it were that's right i like that <laughs> um thanks bro yes ah. <laughs> um i thought everybody 
really grateful for this moment. Really, really grateful. Um, and I'd like to invite content to make a, a further comment just before we do close up and take a, a final quote from you, Pam, if you don't mind. Um, but yeah, thank you. Content comment. So I'd like to say um, um, thank you for reminding us about the, the role of kindness because sometimes it's or it's assumed. Um, and you, what you've done is really highlight through the, through the, the journey of, of your life and through stories how important it is, especially to people who perhaps sometimes don't always feel the full effect of, of kindness around them. So thank you so much. Um, I'm glad this podcast has gone out to sort of over 30 countries so people can hear and perhaps learn um, tolerance and the kindness behind your message. From the little I know, I just want to say shukriya to you for, 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 this, for the journey that you took us on. And you're quite right. Shukriya. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, that's... Uh, there are two words, because obviously there are two words for everything. So shukriya is a little bit more um, Urdu. Tanyabad uh, is more um, Hindi and Bengali. But I'm very, very proud of you for that one. <laughs> um, and also, um, do you know what one of the greatest honours um, I have ever been given? And it made me cry. And I know that she's listening today. Um, is when I... I don't know it. I can only really remember doing one act of kindness to this lady. I helped her daughter, uh, something to do with her daughter's degree. I put her in touch with somebody who would really help her get the, to get the content she needed. And um, this woman has become like a sister to me. And um, she renamed me and she gave me her mum's name. What an honour. It's actually making me cry right now. Um, and I still have difficulty pronouncing it, but it's a Nigerian name, and it is. They've been all over. So a big, big thank you to you, Tunde, who gave me that name.
Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.